let's get into the teaching today. Last week I started the series, How to Overcome Fear. I had no idea when I planned this back in October, November, that we were going to be dealing with all this stuff going on today. <clears throat> and, 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 you know, and, and I have to be, personally, I have to be careful because what I don't want to sound is condescending. Um, things like this don't, they don't really upset me. Um, but I know that it really grips a lot of folks and I understand that and, and, I, and I feel for you. And, and I want to be as empathetic as I possibly can with all this whole thing. But I just think that we need to look at Scripture and recognize that God has addressed these things. The Psalm 91, if you, if you want to just read that every day throughout this entire crisis, that's, a, that's one of the best ones that you can read in the Bible because it talks about the pestilence and all the things that, that attack us and that as someone who lives under the shelter of the Almighty and abides under the shelter in the shelter of the Almighty, God's got you. God's got you, so we need to be careful with it. But last week, we talked about recognizing fear. How do, how do we recognize that part of fear? 2 Timothy 1.7, our text, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And the story that I used in Scripture that we talked about was in Numbers 13. Israel is coming to uh, into the Promised Land. That's one of our readings in the last few days, if you've been reading through the Bible with us. Um, they're at the entrance of the Promised Land. They've been out of Egypt for a time. They're there, uh, and they sent spies in, and, and Satan used a, a negative report from the spies, from 10 of the spies, to literally uh, hinder God's plan for the nation of Israel at that time. And so... When they, when they refused, they wailed all night long, what we see in, in chapter 14. They wailed all night long, and they, they got discouraged, and because of discouragement, they rebelled against God, they rebelled against Moses, and then God spoke to them and said, hey, here's the deal. Uh, just so you know, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and those of you that have rebelled last night and today, you're not going to make it in. And so what did they do? They grabbed control again, and said, well, we'll go in and take care of it. We're going to go in and take it anyway. And the problem was they tried to, they tried to attack and the, they got routed and a bunch of, people, bunch of Israelites were killed. And, and so once again, when we have that spirit of fear, the spirit of control is lurking close because it almost always, they work in tandem with one another. When we have the spirit of fear that comes upon us, then we start pulling everything to us. And I shared a couple of stories from my own personal life uh, and leadership when, when these types of things that have happened last week. Fear led to discouragement, which led to rebellion, which led to control. They said, we're going to go and attack. And, you know, after God said, no, you've already missed your opening, your window, and you're going to wander for 40, for 40 years. And truthfully, if you left Egypt and went right straight to where they crossed into uh, the promised land, it's about an 11-day journey, but it took them 40 years. They wandered in that area for 40 years. And so uh, that's where we are this morning. God has not given us a spirit of fear. That spirit of fear is timidity or cowardice, a spirit of cowardice. So the second thing, or the, the second thing we're going to look at today, today we're going to talk about how do we overcome a spirit of fear and control in our life. All right, so the first thing, we, rec we have to recognize it. We talked about that last week. Oh, here's the second one. You have to renounce it. Okay, you have to renounce that spirit of fear. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, uh, 5, and 6 says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, what is a stronghold? A stronghold is an argument believed. We see this happening with Israel in Numbers 13 and 14. Israel believed the report or the argument 
that we cannot take the land and a spirit of fear formed a stronghold in an entire nation. In an entire nation. 2 Corinthians 10, 5a, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The argument that said we cannot should have been renounced on the basis that the knowledge of God was this to Israel back in Numbers. I have given you this land. I have given you the ability to possess it. Everywhere your, your ancestors' feet have set, I have given you this land. I will fight for you. This is your land. Go and possess it. That was the knowledge of God to the children of Israel. But yet, what did they do? They didn't take the spirit of fear. They didn't renounce it. They didn't recognize it. And they allowed it to become a stronghold of fear in their nation. And it cost over a million people's interest into the promised land. They believed the argument that they couldn't do it. And as a result of believing the argument, that stronghold was set up there and they couldn't, they couldn't grab hold of the knowledge of God or wouldn't grab hold of the knowledge of God. So the second thing that we've got to do after we recognize it is we have to renounce the spirit of fear. Anything that sets itself up against what? The knowledge of God is an argument. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. What does he do when he comes to heaven's court against you? He accuses you. If you do this, just like he did with Job, if you do this, if you take your hand of protection away from Job, God, he will deny you, he will denounce you, and he will, and he will flee in fear from you. But we see that we read the story in Job, and we know that didn't happen with Job. But the same thing happens with you and I. You can replace Job's name with your name. Satan accuses us at heaven's court. But not only does he accuse us at heaven's court, he comes and sits on our shoulders and he whispers to us that we can't do things, that we're not good enough, that we're never going to amount to anything, that we've not been forgiven, that we have all this shame and we should hold to that shame because that is who we are. But the knowledge of God says something just the opposite. So if we're going to re renounce the spirit of fear in our life, that comes against the knowledge of God, then what do we do? We have to replace it with what? The knowledge of God. All right, look at this. 2 Corinthians, the latter half of uh, verse 5, 2 Corinthians 10. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take it captive. If Israel would have said, no, we're not going to go down the road that we cannot do this. You see, the negative report wasn't the big spot, the big giants and a land with wall cities and all that. That wasn't the negative report. The negative report came in, we cannot do this because we're nothing in their sight and ours as well. That was the negative report. If they had said, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop. If they had listened to Joshua and Caleb who said, wait a minute, God has given us the land. What are they speaking? The knowledge of God. What am I speaking to you in this room this morning? I'm speaking to you the knowledge of God today. You don't have to live in fear. You recognize it. And then you renounce that fear that's coming against the knowledge of God in your life. You hold that thing captive. You say, well, he keeps telling me that. And every time that thought passes through your mind, you take it captive and you replace it with the knowledge of God. You replace it over and over. Well, that's going to get busy. You better know it. Amen. You better know it's going to get busy. Recognize the spirit of fear trying to bind you and, and bring you into bondage with a stronghold and replace it with the knowledge of God. Here's how it works. When Satan says you can't do this or you can't do that, the knowledge of God to Satan's argument is this. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Amen. When Satan says that you're not good enough... <clears throat> 
and you never amount to anything, the knowledge of God says, according to the word of God, which is the knowledge of God, I am an heir and I am a joint heir with Christ. I am a child of God, the creator of this universe. The breath of my creator is in my lungs. The blood of Jesus, my savior, flows through my veins and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am not nobody, I am somebody. Come on, that's for you this morning. That's for somebody listening on this thing this morning. This is the knowledge of God during times of crisis. Oh, what's going to happen to the world? Look, no pestilence shall come nigh your dwelling. That's the knowledge of God. When the enemy says you're not, you're not forgiven and you should be ashamed, the knowledge of God says all my sin has been nailed to the cross and I bear them no more. My sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west, and it is never mentioned against me again. The blood of Jesus says I am forgiven, and since I am forgiven, I am in Christ Jesus, and now there is no more condemnation. My shame has been erased. That is the knowledge of God. Every time the enemy accuses or brings an argument against you, you must renounce it, take it captive, and replace it with the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God, once again, is his word and his promises. Can I get a witness in the house today? All right. Everybody good? All right, here we go. We renounce, we replace, we receive. What do we receive? We receive what God has given us. Look at this. I have not given you, God has not given you a spirit of fear. But what has he given us? A spirit of power. Now look, it, it, I know it reads power, love, and sound mind, but it really literally talks about the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of a sound mind, or actually spirit of self-control is what it talks about. But let's talk about the power. What is the spirit of power? Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We've been given the Holy Spirit of God. It's that power that comes. If the Spirit, Romans 8, if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because the Spirit lives in you. Romans 5, 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love this one. Romans 12, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is the knowledge of God. God is re we're replacing it today with this. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, now this Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom. You see, when we stand in the promises of God, when we stand on the promises of God and we take the evil thoughts captive and we take the, the arguments and, the, and the, the negative reports captive and we submit them to the knowledge of God and we replace it with the knowledge of God, then God begins to do things in our life that shifts everything around. Because now we realize that I don't have to be bound up in this and the chains begin to fall off and we walk through our life in freedom. We walk in freedom. I'm not saying that we walk, in, I'm not saying that you run out here and start hugging everybody on the street during all this stuff. I'm not saying that. That's, that's a whole different level of problem right there. 
But what I am saying is, if you're cautious, if you're wise as serpent and harmless as dove, and you walk with this concept in mind in your life, and you recognize the spirit of fear, and you renounce the spirit of fear, and you replace the spirit of fear, and you receive what God has promised us, then I'm telling you today, you can walk in a place of freedom that nobody else will walk, because you have the mind of Christ in you, and his spirit is living in you. That's what's happening with us. Amen? All right. So that's that spirit of power, spirit of love. It all begins with love. God is love. We've been given that spirit of love. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And I love this. I say this at most every wedding that I do, but here's, if, here's the epitome of love, okay? We take 1 Corinthians 13 as, as a description of how we're to relate to one another, and it is that. But listen to this. If God is love then these are God's attributes as well. Love is patient. Love is kind. Let me do this. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. He does not boast. God is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. His blood covers all of those. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. That spirit of love. This is what God has given. We receive what God has given us. A spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. Now, a lot of us look at this and go, well, I have a whole lot of crazy going on up here. And I'd just like for some peace to kind of settle between the ears. But what he really talks about here, what this really is, is um, translated is, is a spirit of self-control. Isn't one of the fruit of the spirit self-control? It is, isn't it? Yes. So we, we tend to look at it from a standpoint of diminish all the crazy up here in my head. It may be the crazy in my life, but the truth of the matter is, it's a spirit of self-control. God has given us the ability to take control over our actions and emotions. What we don't need right now in America and around this world is emotional response to the crisis that we're facing. What we need is a spirit of self-control to settle in over God's people and just go, you know what? God's got this and God's got me. God has given us a divine ability. Now listen to me. God has given us a divine ability to stop fear in its tracks by taking the thoughts captive and replacing it with the knowledge of God, the promises of God. But breaking the hold of fear and control requires us to let go of our control and trust him. Israel thought they could handle it on their own and they tried. But really a spirit of self-control is to step back and not get emotionally entangled in everything and go, you know what? I'm going to let God do what God said he's going to do and I'm going to walk. And every time he tells me to take a step, I'm going to take a step. And I'm going to be controlled and not run ahead of the Lord. I'm going to walk with the Lord and let him lead me and let him guide me. I'm going to be wise. I'm going to be smart about things. But I'm not going to be overcome by a spirit of fear. We must release control to the Holy Spirit. Give him full ownership of our relationships, of our money, of our careers, of our reputations, our positions, our businesses, and ultimately our lives. That's how this works in our life. Let me close with this.
And this passage, God laid this passage on my heart earlier in the week, and I just I laid it in here at the very end because I believe this passage is a direct word of the Lord for those of you that are here, those of you that are watching this, and those of you are going to see this, this message. Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass, now notice, when you pass through the waters, not if, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, not if, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Verse five, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise in the house today. Do not be afraid. Be wise, be cautious, take care of yourself. Do the things that are necessary when, during this crisis. But listen to me, this crisis is just preparation for the next one, okay? Everything prepares us for the next thing, the next step of the journey. Now, if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. Deliverance without discipline is deception. Deliverance without discipline is deception. God can set you free from a spirit of fear in an instant. But you have to walk that out. That means that every day you recognize, you renounce, you replace, and you receive. Every single day. You have to discipline yourself. God has broken the spirit of fear in this house this morning for those that will take hold to it. Those that are listening, God has broken the spirit of fear from your household, from your life this morning, if you'll lay hold to it. But you have to walk this out. You've got to get up tomorrow morning. You've got to walk it out. You've got to recognize when the enemy starts to accuse. And you've got to renounce that spirit of fear. And you've got to replace it with the knowledge of God. And then you've got to replace it and, and receive what God has given to you. That spirit of love and power and a sound mind. All of those things have got to be there. And it has to be an everyday occurrence. Everybody good? Let's stand in the house this morning.